I said, if you listen to a sermon, and when the sermon is over, you say, that sermon was deep. Somebody says that. That was, sermon was deep. What, what do people mean when they say that? And got a few different answers, and we wrote them down. And I said, well, let me rephrase the question. If I were to say to you, that person is deep, what would you mean? You know, some of the same answers, some different answers. We wrote those down. And I asked it a, a third way. I was like, well, what if I told you that it was important for you to go deeper in your faith? What would that mean? What would you do? And how would you know six months later if you did it or not? So I thought about it a little bit different. You know, those were all versions of the same question. And they have to do with what is it that we really mean when we say something is deep in a spiritual context. Often, when we're talking about sermons, the word deep most often gets applied to a sermon that is deep academically. It has some theological component to it or some linguistic component to it where some new information was given in a way it's like, I never knew that before, I never saw it that way before, I never heard that, I never knew that, that was, that was deep. And we, but when we talk about a person being deep, usually we're talking about some sort of, some sort of soul depth that they, they kind of skip past superficial conversations and go straight into deep conversation, right? So there's a relational depth, a soul depth. And if I were to tell you to go deep in your relationship with God, most people immediately kind of go to like prayer and, and spending time with God, like a quiet time, I need, I need to be doing that, and... And so you put all these pieces together, and really there's a lot of different aspects to what I think should be considered spiritual depth. There's a knowledge depth, there's a relationship with God depth, there's an emotional, spiritual depth. Obviously there's also an obedience depth that, that I'm, I'm, you can tell that I'm deep in my relationship with God because I, I act according to what God says, or maybe I have internal character qualities that are in line with with what God calls for. All of those things can be markers of depth. And the thing that I wanted to emphasize with our staff is, is that really all of the answers we gave, all of them are right. They only cease to be right when we talk about one of them in exclusion to the other one. When we start talking about depth only in terms of uh, academic or theological knowledge, where we only talk about depth only in terms of uh, relational connection, or we only think about depth in terms of character qualities. Really what spiritual depth looks like is to be deep in all of those things. And I bring this up because we're about to do this series on the Apostles' Creed. I'll, I'll explain what that is in a minute. But I was thinking about all the sermon series we've done up until this point, just this calendar year. We started this whole thing with this kind of this whole series on worship and all the different worship response elements that we have in the back and why it's important to kind of have this kind of soul worshipful relationship with God that that's the purpose of church really is to have this kind of worshipful connection with God and then we go straight from that into uh, four weeks on tithing about why you need to be right with your money and God's given you money and obedience to God looks like faithfulness with your finances then we go from that to a series in Easter we kind of point by point going through what we really believe the gospel is and then we went from that to probably like one of the harshest books in all of Scripture, which is James, where it seems like the point is, you call yourself a Christian, you better do something. And then straight from that in the series Mark just did, where it's like, have you considered, though, doing nothing? And so, and now we're going from that to, 
we're going to walk our way theologically through some of the major uh, beliefs that every Christian must have, the, the beliefs that Christians, that unite Christians. And so when we at the Grove, when we think about you, and we think about the, your need for spiritual depth, for depth in your relationship with God, we want you to think about it in all of those terms. I mean, we did an emotional, healthy spirituality class this spring. I want you to think about depth in that way, depth of knowledge, depth of relationship, depth of character, depth of service, all of these different pieces. And this is one of them. And so when we spend some time kind of looking through kind of some deeper theological truths, some of you will be like, yes, finally. And some of you are like, man, I'd rather you just tell me the things I should be doing. But regardless, we need to have a balanced approach to our own life. And one of those things is very important that we understand that when we say that we're Christians, there's certain things that means about what you believe. And a lot of them comes from this idea of the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed has been around at least since the 4th century. It's the first time it was ever seen written. But most likely, since that was the first time it was seen written, it probably dates back centuries before that. And some people, really without any real evidence, you know, it kind of gets the name Apostles' Creed, they believe that the apostles themselves wrote it. Even though there's not any particular evidence, this is kind of where it got the name. But essentially what it is, it's kind of this, it's this, I don't know, chant is the right word, liturgy is the right word, but nobody knows what that word means. It's just, it's, it's this statement of faith that even today, tens of millions of people all over the world are going to recite this as a pledge and a dedication to who they are as Christians. And it has united Christians um, around, um, around the world, again, for centuries. And it is a, a very concise statement of faith about what it is that Christians believe. And again, a liturgical church, and a liturgical church is one that kind of follows certain forms and recites different creeds and sites and saying, we're not really a liturgical church. But then as soon as I say that, it's like, we're not liturgical, we don't have a form that we follow, we, we do do the same thing every week. And so maybe, maybe we're just a different kind of, you know, if you notice that, we do the same thing every week. Song, welcome, song, song, sermon, song, song, closing, you know, anyways. It's a, we're, we're the new kind of liturgical. Anyway, so this is a statement of faith. And maybe by the end of this month, we're going to be this over the next five weeks, I'll make you all stand up and recite it like other churches do. But for right now, I need to give people warning. Because we are a different kind of liturgical church, I feel like I have to give everybody a heads up before we might do anything new. I'm just saying, at some point, we may do something new over the next few weeks. We'll recite this. But for now, I will just recite it to you. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So again, very succinctly, it kind of puts there uh, most of the things that kind of unite Christians and have for centuries, the things that we believe theologically. And so today and for the four weeks after that, we're just kind of look at different pieces of them. We're going to go a little bit deeper into them to make sure we understand what each one of them means. And then 
kind of address maybe some objections that some people have to really fully embracing that, and then wrap it up with kind of an application point for if this is true, what does this mean for us? And so today we're going to look at this first part that talks about God himself. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, that's what starts it. And honestly, we need to make sure that we understand that that that, that statement right there, what the statement that, that the Apostles' Creed makes about God, man, what you believe about God essentially is going to determine everything else that you believe about anything else. Who you really believe God to be, what you believe His character to be like, what His involvement is like, what His power is like, what His love is like, what you believe to be true about God will determine what you believe and what you do and everything else. I, I could... If I know what someone, who someone really thinks God is, uh, you can look at that and you can pretty much predict what their life's going to be like. If God is only nice, then your life's going to look a different way. If, you're li- if you only believe in a God that is cruel and powerful, then your life's going to look another way. If God doesn't really care and is kind of distant, then your life's going to look one way. What you believe and who you really believe God to be is really the most important thing that we need to make sure that all of us understand. And so if it is this kind of foundational piece of not just Christian living, but just life itself, if it is this foundational beginning piece of our theology, of our faith, of who we are, then what we'll do is we'll go to the very first passage of Scripture. Because in the very first passage of Scripture, we get this proper introduction to who this God is, and I think it greatly informs this first part of the creed. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. In Genesis 1, if you're familiar with the passage, it just kind of goes on to describe a similar pattern over the next few days. You know, he created the the sun and stars and the moon and and the earth simply just by speaking them into existence. He created dry land and the oceans just by speaking them. And then then fish and then birds and then animals and then humans just by speaking it. He says light and light appears. He says moon and moon appears. He says fish, fish appear. Chipmunk, chipmunk appears Just, just by a word. Just by his word, something that did not exist comes into exist. The entire universe comes into being simply by the words of God. There was nothing, and God spoke everything into existence. So we have here, again, this first line of the creed. I believe in God, the Father, all Mighty. The first thing in this foundational piece of what it is that we believe is that we believe that God, we believe God is all-powerful. 
We believe God is all-powerful. He has all the power that you're... We have a couple of these today, uh, a couple of fancy words for the day. The fancy word for today, it's omnipotence. Potency, strength, power, omni meaning all of it. He has all of the power, omnipotence. There is nothing that God cannot do. He is not limited at all by his power. To put some other words with it, omniscience means God knows everything. Omnipresence means God is everywhere at the same time. But specifically, omnipotence means that God has all power. He created the universe by his own words. And everything that exists, exists because of him. And the scripture goes on to say that, that, the, that the universe itself, not only was it created by him, it is held together. It is held together by his power. And again, cover to cover throughout Scripture, it says that, that there is nothing that is impossible to God. And by extension then, when we are connected with God, there is nothing that is impossible with us. Anything that God is wanting to do, His power, it, 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 he, he can do it. God is not at all limited. God is incredibly powerful. He is without limits in His power. And I think it's important for us to take a minute and kind of step back. Because this is a very different picture than I think a lot of us have functionally of God, right? I say, think of God right now, right? Old man in the clouds, right? Old man in the clouds, he kind of looks like you. He's just a little bit older with a longer beard in a cloud who is open to the things that you have to say. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And that he's somehow just some super dude he's like the best of the dudes and he's really really old with a beard like you take noah like the old flannel picture thing from the sunday school class or whatever just take noah and just put him in a cloud right and that's god but god is so much bigger and more complex and overwhelming than that and we try to package him in some way that we can understand him but every, 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 every attempt that we make to kind of put a package or understand it, like we limit him in some way, and God is completely without limits. And we should be a little overwhelmed, a little, a little bit nervous, right? I mean, that's kind of scary. An all-powerful God who just by his own words can make anything happen. That is who God is. Now, some people have some objections to that, or at least a little bit of concern to that, and you may, you may share this, because people begin to kind of begin to think about it like this. Well, if God can do anything, and there is so much in, un, injustice in the world, and there's so much suffering, and God is not limited by His power, then why would these things be? And so then when people, then it's like, well, if God is all-powerful, and all of this suffering exists, then He must not be all-loving. Or conversely, I believe that God is all-loving, and if God is all-loving, the suffering wouldn't exist, so he must be limited somehow by his power. And so some people then will make God smaller because they can't put their mind around the fact that God that is all-powerful, all-loving, and that suffering exists. Now, volumes have been written about this, volumes of books, and this is like a small part of one point of one sermon of a five-week series. And so I'm going to unsatisfactorily answer this for you. But I think that it is important for you to understand 
that God is limited in neither of those things. And we have an overwhelming amount of evidence. Walk outside and you have all the evidence that you need of the overwhelming power of God. You look simply to His Son, Jesus Christ, and you have all the uh, example that you need of the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ. And so, God must have reasons that I trust because of who He is for allowing the universe and the world to play out the way that it does. I use this as a, as a small, silly example. I was with uh, Layla yesterday. It was Saturday, which we call Dadder Day, where we hang out together. Um, we do some fun stuff, and we were at Walmart, and she has this pattern that she does at Walmart. Well, she will spy something that she really, really likes. Yesterday, it was a little dog, and it was, you put it on a little leash, and you can walk it outside, and it does all sorts of things that normal dogs do. And we really needed this. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, it's an amateur move, Dad. If you don't want things like that to happen, you don't take your kid to Walmart. And I'm like, I get it. I know this is going to happen, but we have a thing, and it's fine, right? It's fine. It doesn't stress me out that she sees things at Walmart and she wants them and doesn't seem to stress her out that I tell her no. We have a thing. She, she likes to identify things. And she's like, Dad, can we get this? I'm like, no, we're, we're not going to get that today. She's like, well, how much is it? Well, it says it's, it's 20 bucks. Do you not have 20 bucks? <laughs> it's not a question of how much money we have. We're just not going to get that today. Now, she's got an opportunity for a response here, doesn't she? She can have an emotional response. She can have a physical response. There's lots of ways that she can respond. You know the way that she responded? She said, that seems like that might be a good thing for my birthday. I said, that does seem like it could be a good thing for your birthday. You make a note about that, and when your birthday comes around, we'll talk about it. And then we went on and discovered other things at Walmart that we liked. Because in that moment, what did she choose? She chose trust. I love my dad. My dad loves me. I didn't get everything I want, but that's just fine. It's not that my dad doesn't have the power to. He has 20 bucks. It's not that he doesn't love me. We're just not getting this right now. And that trust over time was earned. Two-year-old Layla had different responses. Three-year-old Layla had different responses. Seven-year-old Layla, we can go to Walmart all the time and not buy anything, and we'll be just fine. Now, there's something, again, that is a very simplistic answer, but there's something very similar to that that we have to do as we grapple with the idea of an all-powerful God, an all-loving God, in a situation that I don't understand. I choose trust, and we all need to choose trust. So we believe that God is all-powerful. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And, and so creator of heaven and earth, I think it's important for us to kind of make sure again that we understand exactly what this Genesis story is telling us. He spoke this into existence. And so what we believe is that we believe that God created everything from nothing. There was nothing and God created everything. He did not take some existing energy or matter or form or universe and say, I'm going to put the God touch on this. There was nothing but God. And God spoke everything that is into existence by His own words. That is the power that God has. And that is the method by which God brought the entire universe into existence. By an act of His own will. By His words alone. Would you like another fancy theological term? This one's in Latin. Ex nihilo is what that is called. Out of nothing. That is what God created. God created everything out of nothing. And so, 
What is the normal objection to this idea? The normal objection to this idea would be like, uh, it's, that's really cute, Charlie, that you would read Genesis 1 and that you think that it would tell you anything about the way the world works or the way that the world came into existence. I don't know if you know this. And I've had people say this to me just as sarcastically as what I'm saying to you right now. Uh, maybe you've heard of this little thing called science. Golly gee, no, I haven't. Can you tell me about it? And so, like, that, that somehow that science tells us something very different about the origin of the universe. And, um, and, that, and that it's important for us, and so we will say this, it's important for us as Christians to kind of adapt what we believe based on the things that we know now scientifically. And I certainly appreciate and understand the heart of that. I understand the desire to want to be thought of as smart or intelligent and to not sound or say anything that someone else might would sound stupid. And um, I've, I've actually spent a lot of time over the last 25 years of my life interacting with people about this issue and the one we did before. In fact, we did a class on this a couple of years ago that you could find on our YouTube channel and probably bring some of these out and kind of publish them. It was kind of a theological class. And we spent significant more time talking about it than we have today. But there's a couple of things that I have that I always want to bring up with people as we think about wanting to make some sort of scientific objection to what the Scripture teaches about creation. The first one is this. Even scientists agree that there was a time before that all of the scientific rules that exist, there was a time when those rules didn't exist. For scientists, it happens, if, if, the, if you can describe such a thing as before the Big Bang, to the Big Bang for the first kind of snap your finger. Those rules didn't exist, and then the rules started to exist, and those rules have been what have sustained the universe. I think we can all agree, so then we can all agree, there was a time when the rules of the universe did not exist. What brought them into existence is a question, and who holds those things together? There was a time when the scientific rules cannot explain the way the universe works. And I believe that God is the creator of this order that we now have. And he describes by his own words how he brought this order together. And then he did, and now he has created a world, a universe, that seems to hold itself together. But we know, we should know, let's say, Christians believe that what holds all of that together, that keeps these rules from devolving into chaos, is the hand in the very presence of God. The second objection that I, that I, the second thing I want to say to this objection is, sometimes we spend too much time wanting to sound smart to other people, and that we want the things that we believe to be, you know, there's really no contradiction between what the Bible teaches and what science teaches, and people, people say that, and I, and, I, and I get the heart of that. And we don't want to say anything that makes us sound stupid. Like, okay, let's just get rid of all of it, except the one thing that is foundational to Christian belief. We're just going to reject everything else, but we're just going to hold on to one, the one thing that is the unifying principle of Christian belief, that there was this dude who was in fact God, who died like died, died, like death died, like all the way dying, death, dying, dead, right? Dead. All scientifically dead. One, two, three days later, just walks out and says, what's up? Now, what does science have to say about that? At the point in which you're willing to say that a God-man walked out of a tomb three days after he died, you've kind of left a bit of science and reason behind. 
And I get this. I want to be thought of as smart. I like for people to think that I'm smart. I've always been a little bit proud of the idea that I think that I'm smart. I want to be smart. I want you to think I'm smart. I want people to... I get that. But Paul makes something very clear. He says just the basic idea of the gospel, it's offensive to religious people like the Jews. He says, but it's ridiculous to everybody else who isn't religious. It's just stupid. Who would believe that? And if we're willing to believe that God rose this guy from the dead, they go, oh, yeah, I believe that, but Jonah living in a fish for three days, that's too much. But God spoke the universe into his, that's too much. No, no, no. I take God at his word. And I'm perfectly comfortable believing something that does not make sense to someone else. And I think that it is important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to believe in a God that has this much power and created the universe the way that he said that he did. Now again, it's not as simple as that. There's a lot more questions to ask. And I encourage you to, again, search up our YouTube channel or you can shoot me a note. We can talk about this. I would love to. Again, I've spent a lot of time talking about this with people because I believe that it is important for us to place our faith fully in a God who has all of the power and He is the one that is holding the universe together. Because if I believe that there is something or someone else that is holding the universe together, that there is something with greater power or there is something that is limited, then that is going to reflect in the way that I worship and live my life with God. But, but if what I believe is that God is all-powerful and I believe that God created everything from nothing, there is really only one appropriate response, and it's this, we should therefore worship Him. We should worship Him. This God is amazing. He is overwhelmingly big. He has great and glorious power. And all we know that He's done is create the universe with His words. But what if that's just the beginning of His power? What if sending Jesus Christ here to die for us is just the tip, the beginning of how much He loves us? What if the things that we see are just a mere reflection, just what our brains can put our minds around about how great and powerful and awesome this God is? We've made God very, very small. And if our God is this small, then our worship is that small. But if God is this big, my worship is this big. If He's this, My worship and devotion to this God increases with my understanding of how amazing that He is. Now, the foundation center point of Christian worship, rightly so, is the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the death that He died for us. That is the focal point of Christian worship. That is, that is, that is the thing that we celebrate. That is why we are Christians. That is why we are here. This is what we celebrate. And we worship God largely because of this great thing that He did for us. I would like for us to consider worship just a little bit differently, at least today. Not just simply for the overwhelming goodness that God has shown us, but just how overwhelmingly awesome He is. I am in awe of God. I am overwhelmed by Him. I am amazed by Him. And I, and, and I worship Him. 
And so we have some response at the end of this, just like we do every week. We have some time to sing, and I encourage you. And just really just let the words that you're singing sing deeply in your heart and imagine a God receiving those significantly, infinitely bigger than the God that you typically imagine as you're worshiping. As always, we have response places in the back. We have communion available. Uh, you don't have to be a member here, just a follower of Christ. I encourage you to um, take that. You take the bread, dip it in the cup, and you can worship that way. We have a prayer cross and prayer candles for times of reflection and worship. Our prayer team is back there. If you just have a need and would like someone to pray with you, pray for you, I uh, encourage you to be a part of that. We have, I'm just going to pass around our offering bucket, have an opportunity to give lots of different worship responses. God is awesome, so I sing. God is awesome, so I give. God is awesome, so I pray. God is awesome, and I give Him my heart, and I give Him everything. Because we believe in the God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Let's pray. God, I just... I really do. I just I feel a little bit overwhelmed when I think about it. And God, it's just easier for me to kind of just retreat back to I understand Jesus. I understand a, a person walking around who's and I understand God in the cloud. But when I think about a God that can speak the universe into existence, that when there was nothing you just spoke. It's overwhelming. But God, that, that you are that big, that overwhelming, that powerful. And God, you desire us. You desire our worship. You desire relationship to the point to where you sent your son Jesus to forgive us for all the sins that we've committed. God, I pray that we would not lose that. But God, that for these next few minutes, the rest of this week, God, and for the rest of our lives, God, that it would inform our worship. And that, God, that we would not live lives like we worship a small God. But God, that we would worship and live like the God that we worship is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And God, as always, we thank you for your Son who makes this possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.